Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of the Bobo and Flex Show. My name is Bobo and I am your host and I'm with the beautiful Flex. Flex, how are you feeling today? Not me just pressing record. (laughs) I'm feeling good. (laughs) I was explaining earlier that it's been a while before, it's been a while since I've woken up feeling alive and fresh. Mm. And that's only because... I've been not sleeping a lot because we've been uh, opening the Flex Factory store and warehouse. But I have been doing this guided sleep meditation for the last mm, two weeks, give or take. And I didn't really know how much I struggled to fall asleep until I did this meditation Mm. because I enjoy sleep. I can sleep for a very long time quite easily or I can wake up, go to the bathroom, go on my phone, then go back to sleep. It's not an issue for me. But... I can't force myself to sleep under pressure, under duress. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's like every day there's something for me to do. So I'm kept up by, you know, the excitement or the adrenaline or the anxiety of getting up to to go do something again. Yeah, yeah. So I said I'd try sleep meditation thinking that it wouldn't really work, that it would just maybe help me relax a little bit so it'd be easier to sleep. But I do this one on YouTube. It's only 12 minutes. And every single night when I listen to the sleep meditation, I don't recognize any of the words because clearly it's doing something. It's knocked me out three, four, five minutes in that I'm like, this is a new scenario. Are we at a beach? Interesting. Oh yeah. I remember these bird sounds. Yep. 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 Got it. Got it. Got it. And it's fantastic. And I've woken up feeling so rested. Granted, I did get my eight hours. I don't like to skimp on my sleep, but something about it. I don't know. I just felt, I feel so rested. I feel coherent. I feel alive. I feel like I can articulate. And I also like the feeling of like problem solving my own issues because not realizing that I struggle to sleep as much as I did to now being like sleep is so easy. And if I want to sleep, I'll just play a sleep meditation. I'm out. Yeah. That feels so empowering. No, I love I really that. Love I have to try it. I have to, although I don't have trouble getting to sleep. I only have trouble waking up. <laughs> like if I wake up, oh. I could literally stay in bed for three hours. Like I could truly just, I love being in bed. I love it. It's just the it's so especially if you have like invested in your bedroom experience and that's not to say you've decorated it very well but if it's comfortable to your standards um and you enjoy being there what reason is there to leave no my room is my favorite place in the entire world like i've so i'm very much a minimalist and i because my my brain is very cluttered and i'm easily distracted i also have adhd which I've now finally accepted is a real thing. Um, mm. I'm easily ex- distracted and just scrambled by my surroundings. So now that I've moved into this new space, I've decided to put nothing in my bed, in my room, but a bed and a lamp. And it is... Makes a difference. It makes the most difference. Like all there is, there's just a bed, a lamp and some candles. And that's literally it. Like, Wow. It makes such a difference to my mental well-being. I also just have a new rule in my apartment where there just isn't going to be more than five pieces of furniture a room. And it just really Mm. like, especially because I'm such a clean freak, it makes such a difference to my mental well-being, my clarity of mind. Um, I spend so much less time looking for things. I spend so much less time cleaning because there's not much to clean. Like... Wow. Mary Kondo. I'm actually, I've spent half my day Mary Kondoing my room because I have too many vibrators and beauty products. So, yeah. 
Yeah, Mary Kondo made some points. She made some points. And is is she the person who taught you about um, letting your bedroom be solely a space to sleep? No. Well, she made some points about just decluttering. And as I've Mm -hmm. been, I feel like I've been decluttering for this entire year. But then like moving from one space to another, I realized how much unnecessary shit I have. So I spent like most of this year just selling shit. I sold all my photography things, which is like, there's something really refreshing about letting go of old parts of you. Like photography used Mm. to be such a big part of my life and now it's not, but I still had 15 backdrops, like four light, like I had all of this equipment just taking up space. So I thought yesterday I just gave or I sold all of like every single thing. And it's so refreshing to like let go of old parts of you. Like it really gives you space to like make like I realized today now that I have less a lot less things. I'm like, wait, I think what I want to do next year, I don't want to rent an apartment. I'm just going to country hop like Every three months, I'm going to go live somewhere else because, like, I have no reason to be tied to this place. And now that I've let go of my belongings, I could I could literally fit all my shit in two suitcases and go. And like, yeah, it's really <coughs> freeing. The Like the less things that I have. That sounds hectic. Yeah. The less things yeah. I have in my space, the more clarity of mind that I have. And the more I just know what I want to do with my time, it's like the relationship between time and space is so inextricably connected that, but you don't realize Mm. until you like make a conscious decision to be intentional about your space and like about your belongings. Mm. It's so interesting. So I have a few questions for you Mm. based on what you just said. Yeah. Because I didn't want to interrupt, but, you know, now I can ask. So you sold all your photography equipment. So does that mean you just don't plan to use that skill of yours at all ever? Um, not for hobbies and not for money. You're just done with it. Um, I'm sure there'll be like it. So right now I'm still working on my cookbook. So I still have my camera because I'm photographing all my food myself. So like this, there's, there's like parts of it that I've taken and I'm like putting to good use, but the I, like fashion photography, no, I have no interest in ever going back to that or like monetizing it. Not that I, not that I like look down on it. I just, I've just outgrown it. And I feel like it's so easy to, I feel like when you don't let go of the materials that are attached to your past selves, you don't like actually move on. You don't like become, <laughs> You, you don't like self-actualize because you're still attached to the parts of you that have already died. It's like dead weight. There's just dead skin, like exfoliated, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I, th- I, I don't think I have any plans of ever go- being a photographer ever again. Wow. Yeah. And then you also mentioned that now you're sure you have ADHD. Who, what happened there? Oh, yes. How did you come to this conclusion? No, so I was diagnosed. Okay, there's actually a long story about this. So I have this habit, um, which I've realized is called stimming, where... Wait, hold that thought for one second. I feel like someone's at my door. Okay, stimming. Yeah, so so stimming is basically, it's like... It's like self-stimulating behaviors like th- that usually involves like repetitive movements or sounds. Everyone stims, like everyone does it to some extent. Sometimes it's like biting your nails or it's like twirling your hair or whatever the case is. Um, is it meant to provide like pleasure? Because that's what I think when I think of the word yeah, stimulation. It's, like, it's just something to like energize you, activate your body. No, it's like soothing. It's like an it's like an activity that's oh. like really yeah. It feels really soothing to to the person that's doing it. So um, mm-hmm. the way it's portrayed with people with autism, like in TV shows and stuff, is usually like flapping hands or like rocking back and forth or stuff like that it's not actually a bad thing unless it becomes 
like self-destructive or like interferes with your day-to-day activities and hobbies. So as a kid, I the way that I would stim, and I actually still do this, is I'll like pick at my finger, but I don't even realize that I'm doing it. It happens so subconsciously. Um, I'll like pick up the skin on my fingers to the point that it starts bleeding. And I don't even realize that I'm I'm like picking up my skin until I'm bleeding. So I used to do this as a kid and my mom was like, what the fuck is going on? So she took me to a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, she has anxiety. And then I guess my mom being an African mother was like, how does a seven year old have anxiety? So we didn't really like investigate further. And it was just like, an anxiety diagnosis, whatever. Fast forward to um, freshman year of college, I go see a counselor slash therapist because I'm having like trouble with just gen- like just day-to-day basic, just day-to-day basic things as far as like academia is concerned. And she was like, oh, you have literally all the symptoms for ADHD. And she was like, that's also why, like, your stimming is related to that. But at the time, I was like, no, I don't have ADHD. You hoes are just boring. Like, the reason I can't concentrate on anything is because academia is boring. (laughs) So I decided to just, like, disregard that diagnosis. And then fast forward to when I moved to New York, and now I go to a therapist again, but this time it's for depression, and she again is like, you have ADHD, like you, you're also, she like hinted that like you might be on the spectrum. But I was like, oh no, I don't believe in ADHD and this therapist sucks. So it's whatever. So then, yeah, like fast forward to a few months ago, um, just being in like different groups of people who have ADHD and how it's usually like for girls, especially Girls who are autistic are usually diagnosed with ADHD because autism is usually studied on men. I realized, wow, I guess I actually do have ADHD and it's been affecting. Yeah, like that's actually the thing that's been affecting my life. That's that just makes like really basic everyday things. So would I say hard, like inconvenient? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's also like closely related to like being on the spectrum so that's been my relationship with ADHD autism I'm only now accepting it after three therapists have told me that I have ADHD I've decided to stop being a stubborn Gemini and accept that that's what it is but yeah I feel like now that I I know just what it is like everything just makes more sense and so because now you have um, some a, like a term or some context for things that you've been experiencing and couldn't uh, communicate well or articulate or however you want to phrase it, now that you have this insight, um, how, like how does it make you feel about certain things? Like when you stim or when you have certain responses to people or situations, are you thinking, oh yeah, no, that is, I'm, I feel fine with it? Or the difficulty is still there, but now you just have a name for it. Yeah, no, the, th- the difficulty is still there. I just now like understand the underlying cause. I think um, I always conceptualize, like growing up, I always just conceptualize myself as just like someone from a different planet, like not really understanding, hu- like just human behavior as a whole. Like why do humans lie so much unnecessarily? Um why is everything made to be so overly complicated unnecessarily just like I feel like I've always been performing being a human being as opposed to just being a human being and I I always just conceptualize it as like oh I'm just from another planet but now I like understand that there's like neurobiological like neurochemical reasons like my brain is just set up differently which isn't better which which isn't worse it's just a different setup um yeah I've always I've also always had like like weird sensory things like I can't walk barefoot because I just like have a heightened sense of touch especially like on my feet just like yeah it's just like really specific things um 
I can't stand the sound of like a fork on a plate. It's like grating to my ears. There's like really specific sensory things that I've always had trouble with that I just in my mind was just like, oh, it's because I'm not fully human. But now I'm like, okay, I'm a human with just a weird setup. So it makes sense, but it's not cured. I don't think there is a cure for ADHD. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess you could take like Adderall, but <clears throat> I'm just not about that life. Like I'm never taking antidepressants. I'm never taking Adderall. I think the field of psychology is a white supremacist scam. No, it's not a scam per se, but it's very white supremacist. So I'm very skeptical of like the way that therapists are so quick to just give out pills and shit like that. So I'm just not about it. And if you had to explain this um, in like a sentence or a couple sentences, mm. why do you feel like now you are more comfortable accepting the diagnosis than when the diagnosis was first given to you? It's two things. A, the first one is context. And then the second one is just like accessibility. So I think by context, I mean, I've always found school to be extremely boring and bland and slow. Um, by that, I just mean, this might sound, this might come across as arrogant, but I, I just always thought that it was really unreasonable to expect kids to learn in a system that is in opposition to learning. So like, if you tell me that I'm sick because I'm unable to sit still in a chair for four hours while listening to a monotonous voice drone on about some shit that will never be applied to my everyday life, that's really unreasonable. Like, am I sick or are you guys just incompetent at your jobs? So from the time I was a kid, I always just thought, that the problem is the system it's not me and whenever people would tell me that I'm the one that's sick my response was always no you guys are incompetent at your jobs so there's that context but now that I'm outside of school like now I'm no longer in academia it's been yeah it's been maybe like two years that I've been out of academia and I'm like okay I'm still having trouble concentrating um with anxiety, with stimming. So clearly this problem extends outside of academia, despite the fact that academia is still a problem. So now that I'm out of this context, I'm like, okay, clearly this, there's a problem. There's like an underlying problem here. Um, and that makes it easier to like accept. But then there's also the fact that like more people are talking about it. Like there's just more Instagram pages that are like, this is what it's like to have ADHD. There's just more people that are just like, yeah, like I have ADHD or like, yeah, I'm on the spectrum or like whatever the case is. So it's a like accessibility or no, not accessibility, the normalization of being neurodivergent, which is a phrase I don't agree with. Yeah, I think the phrase neurotypical is um, rooted, is like inherently ableist. Yeah, I think there's just more conversations around being a human being with a differently wired brain. So it just makes more sense. I do often wonder, like if I was living in the 80s, would I still have accepted this diagnosis? Who knows? Mm. Mm. That's a big, this is a whole, you, the way you began, the way you began speaking about this, you made it sound so casual. And I guess it can be casual because you've lived with it your whole life and you're only now just having, you know, words to frame this very, I guess, specific situation in your instance. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think it is. And if there was some sort Mm. of cure, I don't know how these things necessarily work but if there was a cure if you could stop feeling these um over or extrasensory issues would Mm. you want to oh my god no not at all as much as it like makes being alive exponentially more difficult it also makes my relationships a lot more difficult like especially romantically I don't how do I put it I am I'm a bit more literal than the average person. So like, I feel like I'm expected to pick up on social cues 
that just aren't like obvious to me and that results in a lot of fights within my relationships i would say that's the only thing i would change but other than that like i feel um no i love being me like i enjoy my own brain i th- i feel like it's the reason why i'm never bored i feel like i i have access to another realm of existence that not everyone has access to and like i wouldn't yeah like i wouldn't give that up for the world which like to someone listening they might interpret that as like a superiority complex but i'm not even framing it as that it's literally just like yeah i feel like i have access to another frame of reality that is that like most people don't and i yeah it's like it's cool i love it if anything i think so, like <laughs> I think um the world would make more sense if instead of everyone having to conform to one norm the world should just be more tolerant and like inclusive of different types of brains do you know what I mean like which is why I think the idea of like neurotypical the phrase neurotypical is inherently ableist because it implies that there is a norm a standard which is inherently like a white supremacist misogynistic anti-black standard of existing that is correct and everything other than that is incorrect or rather like sick it's interesting because i don't think people are inherently intolerant of other brains mm. i think people don't understand what it is to have a different brain Ooh, what do so you mean? they're assuming well we all know if, on a really basic level that no two people are really alike. Yeah. But yeah. the average person doesn't have a really good understanding of the chemical makeup or the scientific or biological makeup of one's brain. But we can know that they're different. How they're different is up to interpretation. Mm. And so I feel as though from someone who would be like quote unquote neurotypical. They're not looking at another neurotypical person's brain and saying that one is good because it's similar to mine. Cause they don't actually know that. I feel like it might feel from the perspective of someone who has, um, you know, sensory issues that people aren't understanding what I'm going through. Mm. But I think that level of misunderstanding is like trite with everything and everyone at all times. It's just exacerbated because you can now identify how yours differs so greatly from others that you can make room for others because you now know what you're experiencing at a more almost granular level. But the average person is dealing with their own um, denial, whether it be denial of their emotions, denial of their experiences, denial of themselves, that I'm not really sure they're thinking enough about other people's brains to be intolerant. Yeah, no, if, if And if they are intolerant, I think it's a generic intolerance of just people. Yeah, <laughs> would, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you. I don't think it's an, it's an intolerance that comes from the individual, but I feel like society at large mm. is intolerant of anything that deviates from this very narrow linear norm of being. Um, so, and it's mm. like, it's like in the everyday small things, like what I was saying about school, I think the, um, I think academia as a structure is actually disgusting because the idea that it is normal for any one kid to sit in a chair for eight hours, listening to a monotonous voice drone on about some shit that really is irrelevant and inconsequential to their life like how much of the shit you learned in school did you apply to to everyday life now it's just like that (laughs) form of learning where like you're just supposed to ingest knowledge through your ears like how many people actually learn that way like most people so like I'm a sensory learner um and most people like learn in different ways like there are very few people who are actually able to internalize and digest knowledge from sitting in a chair, <laughs> you know, like to make that even a norm is inherently ableist. You know what I mean? So it's not like individuals who are like inherently intolerant, but it's the way that the world has been set up against everyone that exists outside the norms that makes society like intolerant do you get me yeah yeah no i understand that yeah but you are 
I think that is like you are right in that like everyone is we're all solipsists in, in essentially like we're all really only preoccupied with our own brain have you heard of um Wittgenstein's beetle in the box analogy Mm-mm. tell me about it so it's this analogy that's basically supposed to illustrate the ways that like none of us live in a shared reality okay so imagine that everyone has a box that only they can see inside and no one can see inside anyone else's box so every person describes what they see in the box as a beetle so i know what a beetle is from my own examination of what's inside my box and you know what a beetle is from your examination from what's inside your box but as we all talk about our own beetles they actually might be extremely different things in everyone else's box or or there might just be nothing in some people's boxes or whatever the thing that's inside the box is just changing all the time but basically like if the box is our brains whatever we all have in our box could be entirely different and most likely is entirely different but we don't have the perception or the language to know and so like the way that i experience reality is so different from the way that anyone else experiences reality and because we all have our own beetle inside our box that is not privy to anyone else's gaze no one has like a shared reality so on one hand it's like it is kind of a tall order to try and create a society that's inclusive of everyone when we all like experience reality so differently but on another hand it's also very oppressive to create one standard that everyone is supposed to fit into so it's about like balancing the boxes like finding some sort of middle ground and processing mm. but yes it's interesting because this whole the the one the one standard being oppressive is inherently oppressive but when I think about norms from my perspective even if even though they may include a variety of lived experiences it still is one standard because it's coming from me and how I view things yeah yeah so it's like no matter how inclusive you would perceive your own one standard to be based on how many different experiences you're amplifying it's still going to segregate some other people's experiences by virtue of (laughs) inclusivity not necessarily being wholly inclusive literally because you're going to pick and choose what your favorites are and what you can stand to be around and and whose experiences you can stand to validate yeah but yes I see where you're coming from (laughs) I'm curious from like someone who would you consider yourself neurotypical like would you say you are like and by neurotypical I mean would you say that you're compatible with our current mode of existence yeah yeah how how have you mm-hmm. like conceptualized the rise of mental health awareness and like neurodiversity? I know you sort of made a post about it today in the Facebook group or a post related to that. But I'm curious because mm-hmm. like on on my end, there's like a like the result is like more um, like a feeling of like connectedness and like shared experience Mm. but I wonder on your end does it feel alienating or yeah like how do you experience hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The rise of <laughs> The equivalent would be the equivalent of me observing the like uprising of um, very specific mental health conversations is kind of like how I anticipate or perceive um, white people when they're around non-white people talking about race. Mm. Like you want to jump in, but also (laughs) like you've got nothing to bring to the table and you can easily railroad this discussion by oversimplifying or trying to draw conclusions that aren't there 
or trying to distill this very complex topic into something very, very um, accessible yeah. for your benefit only. Yeah. So when I speak about mental health, uh, and if I do, I'm only just gathering data to try and understand it um, in a way that makes a lot of sense for me to help the person I'm speaking to feel like I'm not necessarily relating, but leaving space for their perspective. Mm. <clears throat> I guess I just had never considered it to the extent, or I had never considered how much it's impacting people up until it became a grand internet conversation. Yeah. And then I had to almost reverse calibrate and talk to my individual friends and loved ones and see if they could relate. And majority do. It's like when I found out my mom was going to therapy for depression, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I feel like, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. Um, or even just hearing how something as widespread as anxiety can manifest in different people at different times. Yeah, yeah. And because what would happen is, and I feel like this happens a lot with astrology, with personality typing, the first person that I could attribute to having anxiety became the blueprint that I used to 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 basically pinpoint anxiety in other people. So if I had an anxious friend or a friend who experiences anxiety and they would say, oh, you know, I often feel really overwhelmed in social situations, then I would look for people who felt overwhelmed in social situations and say, well, they must have anxiety. As opposed to them just feeling overwhelmed in a social situation. Or um, somebody, if I would speak to an anxious friend who really struggled with decision-making because, you know, fear of missing out, fear of the unknown, mm. um, OCD even, then I would look at anyone who had trouble making decisions and be like, oh, maybe they have anxiety. So it wasn't really like I was fully understanding or grasping the concept. And even now, and, and I say that because using race as an example, I often find when somebody's speaking to me about race, they will be like, well, Flex is indifferent about this topic or she feels strongly about this topic. Therefore, all black people feel this way about these topics. And they will assume because they've had my insight, they've had the whole insight on the topic. That's why I'm kind of drawing that parallel. So I think it's, um, it just, I think it baffles me that, I don't like the argument that people are, are saying like, oh, suddenly everybody's got a mental illness. Yeah. It's like, well, no, <laughs> if you never had the vocabulary, like the English language can be very restrictive. Very, it's um, the most restrictive language, yeah. Yeah, and, and suddenly with everybody speaking about it, you're, you're gathering vocab and an expansive understanding of what you're going through. Mm. That yes, now you can say proudly, I do or do not have experience with that issue. Um, but it's just so interesting to me how I, I'm just trying to imagine how that feels knowing that you can identify something within you that's causing a certain amount of discomfort or unrest, but because you don't have the vocabulary and because you can't recognize other people who have that experience, you just have to suffer in silence. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not necessarily human nature to point out your individual anomalies and put them on show. Literally. That's not what we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you try, <clears throat> you try so hard to conform and to appear fine and normal and above board and so I'm just imagining heaps of circumstances where um I've been like intolerant of somebody's behavior not because I thought they did or didn't have a mental illness but because if you can't recognize what's going on with you and you're projecting certain qualities that are impacting me then like how annoyed can I be at you like there definitely is a threshold where it's like okay get your shit together yeah no definitely Definitely. And I think like, I also think that's why we need to actually normalize like self-diagnosis with particular things. I don't want to call it a disorder because it's not that. Um, But with something like autism, like you like most women aren't even diagnosed until they're in their 20s or 30s because there's so little research done about like women with autism the studies are mostly done on men and it's just often missed in women and to get a diagnosis will cost will cost you thousands and thousands of dollars there's also a huge waiting list so you'll set up an appointment and you'll be waiting for a year and now you're forking out tens of thousands of dollars just to get a diagnosis that may or may not help you in your life like 
there's so many barriers to diagnosis that like there's actually nothing wrong with self-diagnosing in that in that scenario like I feel like it has to be destigmatized and I feel like I found so for me personally I found therapy to be quite useless and that's because of existing in different intersections like race and culture and I don't think that like therapy holds space for people who exist outside of western and white supremacist cultures because the forefathers of psychology Carl Jung and Freud were white supremacist homophobic misogynistic humans who thought that black people were primitive animals and so there's so many barriers of entry to getting a diagnosis and then there's also so many ways in which the field you're getting a diagnosis in doesn't validate or even understand your lived experience that it actually just becomes more helpful to just find community and to just get a diagnosis from people who have shared experience And like, I'm not talking about like other disorders like bipolar or like anything else. Um, But there are certain things where like you're actually better off just diagnosing because you're not within like even having this disorder doesn't mean that you will be helped in like the medical field. Wait, so you're saying that you should self-diagnose if you have what kind of... um, mental health issue so like um okay i wouldn't call autism a mental health issue but like for something like autism or like adhd where um it's not that you have a mental health issue but you have mental health issues as a result of having a differently set up brain i think self-diagnosis is just fine but when you have like an actual mental like a chemical imbalance in your brain um So like, for example, if you have depression and it's hard to differentiate between being depressed and just being sad, yeah, then it's more appropriate to get a diagnosis. But it's also that because diagnoses diagnoses are so inaccessible, it's just, it's like completely fine if you can't get one. Like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't like take the steps to understand what's going on with you. You know what I mean? I'm just saying like realistically, Mm. in an ideal world, everyone should get a diagnosis for their mental health dilemmas. But realistically, the vast majority of people will not be able to like, and I'm not even poor, like I'm not, I'd say I'm like middle class ish. And it's still wildly inaccessible for me. So like like the vast majority of people mm. will realistically not have access depending on where you live also but the vast majority of people will realistically not have access to like the medical tools they need and then if you're black <coughs> or if you're african or if you're like from an indigenous <coughs> culture those tools will literally just not even help you half the time because the people administering those tools have no cultural or like intellectual understanding of your lived experience. So they actually just make you feel worse, you know? Mm. Mm. See, I don't, it's not that I disagree, mm. but I think my concern with self-diagnosis, just based on the last point that you made, is if if you, if the likelihood of you going into a space and getting self-diagnosed and getting getting an accurate diagnosis is thwarted or skewed by the fact that, um, these diagnoses were measured on people who aren't like you. Yeah. So the argument of like, you know, um, medical racism and the fact that a, a lot of these symptoms don't show up on darker skin tones or they whatever it might yeah. be. Um, then isn't that, isn't, isn't that carried through to online self-diagnosing where the little symptoms written up are just symptomatic of certain lifestyles, right? Yeah. So like if we can argue that, um, for instance, uh, a black person living in America is naturally going to experience a lifestyle that is much higher in stress. It's much higher in whatever you, you want to say. Like it's stress, it's anxiety, it's uh, every day is life-threatening to some capacity so your lifestyle is now 
is now perpetuating certain symptoms that are closely associated to a mental diagnosis, right? Mm. So like if you, so, okay, let me say this in a concise way. If you're going to a space and you're arguing that you're probably not going to get a diagnosis that is as correct for you based on the fact that the symptoms they were looking for are present in certain people or certain experiences, did the same people not write the symptoms that are coming up on Google that you are now using, not you, that people use for reference? So like by your explanation, it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. The only reason Mm. why I think self-diagnosing is a slippery slope is I know from my own personal experience, it's taken me so much of my life to even emotionally regulate to even understand how to articulate what I'm feeling in a way that's going to be understood by people around me Mm. and if you're in a position where you think that you are going through something that's hard to articulate and hard to explain when you go onto Google you're likely to catastrophize you're likely to cling on to whatever symptoms feel like they're validating your experience the most at that time so I think that can be pretty messy too it's kind of like you know when you have pain in in your sides and you're like okay I definitely have a kidney kidney infection I've got cancer when in reality you slept really funny I think that it can be harmful when you're a well-reasoned Sorry, I think that process can be harmful when you're a measured, well-reasoned person in itself. But if you're already in a position of, you know, hyper, um, like hyper persuasion or you're feeling like vulnerable, I just feel like self-diagnosing yourself could just lead down a path where you are now validating every experience you're having because you want answers really quickly. Mm. So it's not to say that you shouldn't research, but I do think it might be a bit dangerous to advocate for someone to forego a medical diagnosis in favor of them identifying what they feel purely because I don't think a lot of people have that range. Yeah, so I'm not advocating for WebMDing your symptoms, but I am advocating for like finding community and learning about how to deal and like how to live with your symptoms like through real life people who are also going through what you're going through like I completely agree with you in that it's so easy to catastrophize and to get a wrong diagnosis when you're just like doing a google search but when you've like immersed yourself like for me I found the most help in like actual communities with people who have ADHD and with people who have autism more than I would or more than I have from like a therapist and that Mm. but that again this is why it's so nuanced it like it's so subject to cultural to cultural and political context so I'm sure a straight white man who's been diagnosed with autism will get far more help from the medical system and will also just have access to it um, to begin with. But like if you're a woman with ADHD or with autism, you'll probably find far more, you'll probably find communities of people like you far more helpful than you will the medical industry that wasn't designed to serve Mm. you anyway. So it's not to say that everyone should self-diagnose, but it is to say that realistically, the vast majority of people, and again, I'm not talking about um, mental illnesses like bipolar or like schizophrenia, like specifically, I'm talking about ADHD and autism. The likelihood that the average person in the West or in a Western country or a country that doesn't have free healthcare will have access to those tools is so slim that like it's it's fine to like find that diagnosis through community and most like most women with ADHD and autism end up doing just that like most women do end up self-diagnosing because like realistically you're not gonna get very far within the medical industry and so in your experience do you reckon that you would have I mean, it's hard to say because one of these scenarios that I'm going to say has actually happened Mm. and one is completely hypothetical, but because you had expressed it over three different times or three different occasions with three different therapists, they had told you that you had ADHD and you didn't resonate with it because you had a lack of education about it or it wasn't on your radar. Mm. And then only through 
um, you know, the general conversation increasing in conjunction with being told that you might have um, this disorder. Did you take it seriously or did you choose to go and research it further? So that being said, um, I think there is a value in the fact that you did get a medical diagnosis because although it didn't resonate, it almost validated that experience so you could mind these other experiences and build your understanding of what you were going through the only thing i find with the conversation around a lot of quote-unquote popular mental health issues or however you want to phrase it and by that i mean um anxiety depression i would say bpd even um OCD when I say popular I don't necessarily mean that they're like aspirational but just I I hear them being spoken about way more often than like schizophrenia yeah yeah um is the fact that people use very accessible entry points to have those discussions yeah so you'll see someone on TikTok and be like five signs you have anxiety you know you struggle to make decisions you feel overwhelmed. Yeah. You get stressed and you're like, yeah, of course. I definitely, <laughs> I that is yeah. me. And it, it is you, <laughs> yeah. but it also is people with anxiety. And I, I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they can, you know, look at this information objectively and take what resonates and leave what doesn't. But I don't think we can because we also are living in a society where people take, you know, they, they do one Google search of like, um, Aries and Gemini compatibility and they run with yeah, it to yeah. death, you know? It's like we didn't even learn what a, a moon and a rising and a Venus was until this year and we've been talking astrology for Truly, 10, 15 yeah. years. So in the same way that I'm, I don't want to say concerned because let me not feign like I care like that, but <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm interested to see the amount of people who will hear, you know, do you, um, do you self-stim in some capacity? Do you pull out your eyelashes? Do you have very particular ways you prefer for things to be done? And then have them be like, I'm definitely on the spectrum. I'm def- I definitely have ADHD. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing for more people to identify with having these experiences. But if these conversations are now going to be hijacked by people who are self-identifying yeah. Yeah. Um, to feel connected to an experience who actually don't, and then it becomes this issue of them having the loudest voices because why not? I'm, I just, in my head, the only thing I can draw a parallel to is this widespread discussion about race and that mm. when it became, or when it started to become a really general mainstream discussion, it was good because it illuminated some of the issues to a broader audience. But what also happened is that in order for these this information to reach that broad audience, it had to be so simple. Like it had to be the most like granular, simple, easy to understand by a toddler way of expressing the issue at hand. So like we couldn't talk about geographical racism and we couldn't talk about medical racism. We had to talk about the N word for 40 years. Yeah. No, literally. (laughs) And then we we had to talk like, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't, um, the conversation didn't mature yeah. like it was supposed to. And now I think a lot of us, um, well, let me just speak for myself and, and my relationship to speaking about race publicly as much good as it's done, it's backfired because mm. it's validated so many people for even having an interest in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's validated people who have, who've chose to identify as an ally, but it hasn't really done a lot to, um, to like not fix, but to really like illuminate the actual issue at hand. Yeah. Like, I don't think black people across the world are really that concerned with non-black people saying the N word as much as they're concerned with the fact that if they go into uh, a hospital or an ER with a grave medical issue that can't be seen, mm. that they're not trusted. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the fact that a lot of <clears throat> when you're comparing um, a lot of deaths in birth, like that number statistically higher for black women than any other person. Yeah. Like those are the conversations that we now can't have comfortably because people still want to talk about braids and cultural appropriation. Yeah. Like we haven't already done that and it's not been understood. Yeah. So it is a slippery slope and like, I'm not going to be the one to, um, to give any advice or feedback on how that conversation should be had. But I just think from, from someone who doesn't necessarily resonate with a lot of the conversations, I've even found myself being like, wait, 
Huh? Yeah. So do we all have ADHD? Do we all have anxiety? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think also like as much as um, like conversations about mental health have been popularized, like things like depression and anxiety are like popular and cool, but like no one's made it cool to have like schizophrenia or like, oh my God, I have bipolar, you know, like there's still so much stigma attached to um, like most mental health problems. There's still so much stigma attached to like people who are neurodivergent. So like, I think like, Yes, there's definitely a downside of like polluting these conversations and watering them down. There's also the very real reality that we live in a society that is inherently disabling. Like we live in a society that is poisonous to the human spirit and to like the vast majority of people's mental health like capitalism is literally designed to disable us so like i think it's both a good and a bad thing that a lot of these conversations about mental health have been popularized and i think i would still say that the good outweighs the bad because even the popularization of like mental health issues has brought to the forefront that a lot of the core issues for this is not us necessarily like like I've never conceptualized myself as someone who is sick or someone who has a problem I've always like actually just known that the problem is society and with the popularization of mental health problems there's like a greater chance of us actually dismantling all of these structures that are disabling. Period. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, I still think that despite the fact that like depression is a trend and like anxiety is the new mom genes, it's still, we're still better off with a population that like understands that you are not inherently sick. You've just been forced into existing in a system that makes you sick and like now we're one step closer to actually dismantling it so i'll i'll take the i'll take the bad for the good that we get in return but yeah i definitely agree with you that like i think like the tiktok conversations about mental health as simplistic as they are they're also like kind of help like that that can also be a gateway to someone you know like realizing that oh my god actually there's like I know for me for a lot of times there was a time where I just felt like I was lazy when I realized that actually this is just like executive dysfunction and now I realize how the term like how the concept of laziness is ableist like so many times people are considered lazy when really there's just an executive dysfunction or they're just incompatible with capitalism and they're made to feel like they're the problem and really capitalism is the problem so it's like there's so much I feel like there's ultimately there's more good that has come from the popularization of mental health but there's also the downside that it is a trend and more people <laughs> are taking up resources and more people are being medicalized and big farmers profiting. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, you're right in saying that like, and when, cause for those who don't know, I was, um, I made a post on my Instagram story using the question function to ask, uh, my audience, what's something that they were once teased for that's now considered trendy. And that was off the back of a TikTok that I was watching, mm that was speaking about like people of color in particular, yeah. like what, you know, features or experiences did you have that you were teased for specifically? But I broadened the question just to see if any other answers would come through. And it was so bizarre because naturally as expected, the majority of answers were like curly hair, dark skin, um, big butts, big lips, etc., etc. Yeah. And then people started saying mental health, mm. which I know we've had discussions before on how, you know, it seems like it is trendy to not necessarily identify with having a mental health issue on its own, but often when people in positions of influence express having a mental health issue, it's validated to a point that's unusual for what's happening. Like someone is admitting to having a very human experience. It's like, 
you know, people have IBS, people have anxiety, you know, people have a lot of experiences. So why are we validating these, these people in particular when they express it? But so when that happened, I had, I've been mulling, I've been mulling over this thought for a while because as you know, I spend so much of my day on TikTok and a lot of what I see is really simplistic, watered down, theoretical, psychological conversations, right? And generally they're fine. Like a lot of the time they're people talking about their personal experience with a psychological lens or framework to help it resonate with more people. Mm, That's one. But then there is this like small offshoot of um, like literal doctors and psychologists talking about certain experiences. And then there's like, TikTok psychologists. Yeah. No, who will do these like BuzzFeed type listicles being like five ways to tell if you have high functioning anxiety, five ways to tell if you have BPD and you're like, well, like, um, (laughs) are you sure? And then it's, and then they'll go, they'll rattle through a list in 60 seconds of very oversimplified, um, behavior someone could express. And then you see a bunch of people in the comments going like, oh my goodness, I think I have BPD. Oh my goodness. I think I have anxiety. Oh my goodness. I think I have this, which could just be very genuine revelations of someone actually having, um, these experiences, Mm. or it could be somebody oversimplifying what is, actually quite a complex issue or complex experience um and uh and like not really being considered not really considering the adverse effects of making particularly children feel as though they're experiencing things they might not be yeah and so i i can so yes basically i was i was asking on um in the facebook group the bubble and flex facebook group if a trend really encapsulates what's actually happening here because I think there's multiple discussions happening at once. I definitely think there's this really necessary, you know, part of the internet that is being really forthright about what it is to experience certain issues Mm. um, in a way that we've not known before. Like TikTok showed me what a depression room was like. I was like, what is a depression room? And so I didn't have any, I wasn't exposed to that. How would I be exposed to that? So Um, for those of you who might not know what a depression room is, but I'm sure you would, it's people who are experiencing depression, who can't find it within themselves to muster up the energy to get out of bed, let alone take a shower, let alone clean their room. So it's weeks and weeks and weeks of like bottles and food and clothing strewn around the place. And to clarify, this isn't just like, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh my God, that's me, that's me. It's like, mm, no, if you've just got your ASOS packages on the floor, it's not really a depression room. Like this yeah, was mountains yeah. and mountains and piles and piles of things where you couldn't even see the floor where mold was building in different surfaces, um, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. that I was exposed to and I was like, oh shit, I hadn't considered. Um, and so th- like that is really great and really important. And, and so a lot of people like, being really forthcoming, knowing that they're going to get critique and still like, you know, being really forthright. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah. But then there's this other section of people where you're like, babes, I need you to not tell these 13 year olds that they have <laughs> um, anxiety because they don't, they, they, they get stressed at the thought of doing a speech. School. Yeah. We all found it stressful, babe. Like, yeah. Every yeah. single one of us. And it's like, yes, that is, um, Like, what's that phrase? Like, correlation is not causation. Yeah. Like, we can all experience anxiety when we're experiencing anxious situations. Like, that is fine. But there almost needs to be a distinction. Anyway, like I was saying, so um, I have definitely seen instances where people express having uh, a particular mental health experience and they're being validated for it. That's fine, valid. I don't really care. Yeah. But then I was thinking, what about the other way around? Like people who recognize that people who share their own personal experience of a mental health issue on a public platform get validated. So do people over-enthuse their own experience with mental health for validation? In the same way that people know that in certain spaces, if you quote unquote admit to dating interracially like white people who are like oh I love black people I love Asian people they get hyped up so much yeah, on the internet no, absolutely. so similarly if someone's like fuck well if I just say that I have a lot of anxiety will this 
will I be regarded as a more um, trustworthy person, a more real person, someone who is way more candid? I'm like, I don't want to think that people are um, are like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't they be? Yeah, no, of they? course they are. <laughs> like, people will do anything for a retweet. I mean, I think one of the byproducts of the internet is the death of expertise. My boyfriend the other day was telling me that Joe Budden did a podcast interview with Dr. Fauci where he was debating with literal Dr. Fauci about whether or not coronavirus is a real thing. Like, the internet has killed expertise because any old random person can, like, create a viral Facebook thread about talking about coronavirus isn't real and here are my conspiracy theories on why that is the case. And you don't need expertise to validate your points. And that, coupled with the fact that people will do anything for a retweet, means, of course, people will perform mental illness for some clout. People have done much worse things for some clout. Like, a whole person pretended to be a black woman. (laughs) A whole white man (laughs) pretended to be a black woman for some clout. Like, you know, so expertise has died. But, like... As someone who does have like a mental illness, and by this I'm referring to like depression, I just... Is there a proper way to distinguish between when we're talking about depression and anxiety versus being like sad. schizophrenia or... Oh, like... You no, know, like the... Because obviously there's a spectrum yeah. of... Um, uh, mental mental illnesses, mental mental issues, or whatever. But like when, because obviously when you use the phrase mental health issue, mm. then people are thinking of I don't know what people are thinking of actually. But surely there's a way to properly distinguish without having to list out every single yeah that's um, the thing. thing someone could be going through. Yeah, because also like a lot of people would regard like autism as a mental illness when really it's not. Mm. Um, it's just like a state of being. So it's. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, confusion and there's just a lot of, like, confusion about the semantics of all of this. I don't know if there's, like, a word to distinguish between, like, having depression, having schizophrenia versus, like, having antisocial personality disorder. You know what I mean? Um, But, yeah, other than just, like, calling them by their names, I have no idea. But, yeah, even, like... As someone with depression, like, I'm just not bothered by the fact that people pretend to have depression. Like, I don't know. I'm just not pressed. Like, am I going to gatekeep depression? Like, am I going to be, <laughs> am I going to be that nigga, like, gatekeeping <laughs> depression? Terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a trend and trends pass. And this trend will pass like every other trend mm. passes. And when it passes, we'll continue yeah. on and I'll still have depression. And people who don't have depression won't have it. It's like, I think in the long term, the byproduct of like depression as a trend is pretty inconsequential because trends by Mm. definition die so there's really no use in any of us getting like worked up or gatekeeping who can and who can't have it like when the trend dies it'll die and i'm sure it'll die pretty soon because it's getting to that point but yeah to me it's just it's not really that deep i think um I think there's just to expect nuance from the internet is is a losing battle. Like you will never find nuance on Facebook. I just don't go to to social media when I'm looking for nuance. Like when I'm looking for <laughs> nuance, I'm not like let me get into this Facebook group. Like you know, I just go to real people with real lived experiences. Like I, oh I have someone gosh, in my yeah. family who has a personality disorder. I had a friend who had bipolar disorder. Like like they're real like everyone has real life people in their lives who have real life mental health problems and if you really want to know or if you want to like get a head start on figuring out whether the things you're going through are symptomatic of a larger underlying mental health issue or just like a phase in your life the best place to start is just like go to someone that you know or someone that you suspect or someone that you trust and like talk to a real human but like definitely go to someone you suspect <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> no, like you bitch, you I suspect you have depression. <laughs> Why are you always suicidal? Like you know. <laughs> That, like it, the problem well, is self-diagnose <laughs> your people like, i just feel like mental illness is such a widespread problem that everyone knows someone with a mental illness and like ideally everyone has friends or everyone has someone that they trust that they can talk to about what they're going through like start with the people who love you and then like go from there or if you can afford therapy go to therapy you know like there's just lots of different avenues but just don't start with facebook you know like don't go to twitter to (laughs) to figure out what the chemical imbalance in your brain is like wait but you said to go to community so how do we make the distinction between like what if you don't have someone on your team who you know or suspect (laughs) has you know is going through something that you can relate to where are you meant to go No, so like with me, upon realizing that therapy isn't helpful, like once I met people and I guess there's that's there's no like formula really, but it's like I met one person who had autism and I was like, I feel like I relate to what you're saying. And then they pointed me to resources and then I go to those resources and then they point me to other resources and they point me to support groups there's there's like always a starting point and that starting what I'm saying is that like the starting point for diagnosis doesn't always begin in the therapy office and for most people it won't because you can't afford it but it can begin with a friend or a parent or just like someone that you love and trust um, or just like someone that you know who like speaks openly about the shit you know, and you're just like, hey, I'm kind of shy to talk about this openly, but this is what I've been going through. And like, that's a good place to begin. Like, there's no like one formula for figuring out your mental health. But like starting with a real life human being is a good place to go as opposed to like WebMD or like a Twitter thread. Mm. Yeah. And on that note, on that, that is note, the end of the episode. That is. Thank you for listening. This has been, this was such a good episode. Um, let us know your <laughs> thoughts on the popularization of mental health. And let's discuss. Let's discuss it. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Let's keep the conversation going. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Farewell. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.